the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. Rocking and rolling here on a Monday. Hope you enjoyed your Super Bowl weekend. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, phenomenal game. Um, incredible win for uh, for that group. A question that I think we will entertain a little bit later on in the show is, you know, let's, let's talk about overtime a little bit and also how it might pertain to college football. We'll get into that in a little bit. So if you have been following us through the chaotic week that was last week, you know that we came with those sirens in your feed uh, on Friday for the fact that Chip Kelly was leaving his position as UCLA's head coach to go be Ohio State's offensive coordinator. We'll have more on that as well as where UCLA might be going to replace Chip Kelly, but we've got even more. And look, I again, I apologize. This, this coaching carousel will never end. Tom pointed it out immediately, and now I, I, I just think it's going to keep going all the way to August. I don't even know if we're going to have an end to the coaching carousel. So... Well. I don't know. I mean, I was told by a couple people that this whole college to the NFL thing wasn't a big deal. But yet, here we are. Here we are. Because because the Alabama Crimson Tide, the program that did poach two sitting FBS head coaches to be coordinators, has now lost its offensive coordinator and its offensive line coach to the NFL. So we remember all of the wonderful moments of the Ryan Grubb era. Ryan Grubb, <laughs> the longtime offensive coordinator for Kalen DeBoer. Uh, he was with him at multiple stops, has been with him for a long time. He is off to be uh, the Seattle Seahawks new offensive coordinator and very significant offensive line coach Scott Huff has as well. So you think about the way that Washington offense was built. Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, uh, a, a scheme in place with the quarterback and wide receivers being able to take advantage of the, the matchups that they were able to present, all the different shifts, all the different motions. Sure seems like offensive line, offensive coordinator, head coach had to all be in line. Now, two of those three pieces are gone. So Alabama is now searching for a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive line coach. It is February the 12th. But this isn't, I, I don't know any way to read this as this is A, just not good. Good, not good. It's not good for Alabama. And B, a very, very interesting challenge for Kalen DeBoer's year one that already had uh, a, a certain fair share of challenges. I agree, Chip, because if you think about this, like Kalen DeBoer does not have a huge coaching tree. Mm. One of the reasons that he's had success is that he's managed to keep, you know, kind of largely the same assistant staff together or quickly brought them back into the fold, you know, for like 15 years now. So this is tough. Like I, I think Ryan Grubb is a really excellent offensive coordinator. Do you know who else thought that? Nick Saban, because he tried to hire him last offseason. So yeah, I, I think this is a, a bit of a blow for Alabama. Now <clears throat> it's still DeBoer. So I would, I would still expect them to largely be fine because I, I think the head man really dictates it. But you know, if, if you're if you're Ryan Grubb, you get to coach in the NFL, which is more fun, and you get to stay in Seattle where you're already living, as opposed to moving to Tuscaloosa. I mean, guys, I'm not moving to Tuscaloosa if I make millions in Seattle. I've lived in Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa's fine. I, in Seattle, I probably don't want to live in, but if I make a boatload of money, 
Cool. I'm going to live in Seattle over Tuscaloosa. So Seattle's very nice. Yeah. It rains a lot. He wanted it. He wanted the Washington head coach job. He did not get the Washington head coach job. He um, had his family, you know, growing up in in that area. He wasn't there for a very long time, but you understand what I'm saying. Like he, he clearly had something about being around there that was exciting to him. He wants to go back. Does is there to your point, Bud? Something on a very basic, you know, some somebody who doesn't know anything about these gentlemen who doesn't know anything about college football. It's like, well, yeah. He was in Tuscaloosa for two weeks and said, I want to go home. But, you know, there's also the whole fact of, you know, this is uh, the Seattle Seahawks. This is the NFL. Um, so I I understand on a lot of levels, I guess, why Ryan Grubb would be enticed by this. But, Tom, I, I, I keep I – keep, so what happens now for Alabama? I don't know. It's, it's a weird time. Like, it's – obviously, they're going to hire an offensive coordinator. They're going to hire an offensive line coach. Where are you going to go? As Bud mentioned, it's not like Kalen DeBoer has the deepest coaching tree. And it is a very different situation than what Alabama's dealt with in recent years because Nick Saban was losing guys every single year. But he was Nick Saban, so he just had to reach out find somebody. Okay, you do the job now. I think there's a higher likelihood that Kalen DeBoer calls plays next year. Like, I don't know if there's an offensive coordinator he's going to bring in who he's just going to hand the playbook to, considering the success he's had as a play caller in his time, which is a large reason why he's gotten the jobs he's gotten, why he's now at Alabama. So I would anticipate that could be different. We could see him bring in a, a name and somebody trusts more to do it. I don't know. But it's it's an interesting thing because we are in February and there's still turnover because after the signing day you always see this position coaches start switching schools and you start moving on you have to replace guys but i do think like bud said the the wild card here is that it's alabama and that it's DeBoer who who has typically had a very consistent staff everywhere he's been so this is kind of different yeah i liked this comment uh from sean says what sitting head coach will alabama pull to be the next offensive coordinator ensuring (laughs) that the coaching carousel never ends sean is in on the joke those of you watching live by the way um we we see that little piece of breaking news and we'll get to it here in just a little bit i would say our our rundown is is being rewritten as we speak uh but before we do that let's alabama offensive coordinator candidates who's who, t- Bud, you said? Sean Foster. No, he's busy. He's busy. He's busy, Tom. <laughs> I, okay. I mean, look, if you want to look internally, I, I would guess to Sean Foster. <laughs> sorry, I, I would guess to Marcus Shepard, who's the, the receiver coach, did a really good job there involved with the passing game. But, again, this kind of goes back to scan Ryan Grubb's coaching tree. There are not a lot of obvious guys who are no doubt slammed, slam dunks. So, if you look at what DeBoer's done, I, man, I, I don't know. This is going to be interesting to see because it's not like he's part of a big coaching tree. Does uh, where, Tommy like, Reese have? Does Tommy Reese have a job right now? Yeah, he's with the Cleveland Browns. I think he's coaching tight ends. Hmm. Another would coordinator leaving for an NFL job, by the way. Would you take Tommy Reese back if he wanted to come back? Who? Who did Tommy Reese want to be the quarterback at Alabama? Uh, and who Buckner. does DeBoer want to be the QB? I mean, that, that would sort of matter to me. Well, you you and I, I'm not you like, and Was I. the whole USF switch? Remember when when they when they swapped it? Of and the course. Bama player, the yeah. Bama players no, were like, I'm absolutely not. And they, yeah. I mean, they, they didn't throw the game, but I, I do think there was some real discontent there within that program about who, they, who the players wanted to be the QB. Whose side was Reese on there? I don't know. Like, is DeBoer committed to Milrow, or are they going to roll with Mac? Are they going to look for somebody else in the spring window? All questions that might factor into that decision. DeBoer's a good people person from everything that I've heard. And as I said earlier, if he believes that the locker room wants Milrow, you keep Milrow as the incumbent until you absolutely cannot because of performance or, or injury reasons. Makes sense. Yeah. If Reese doesn't want Milrow, then yeah, sure. How big of a deal is this? We, we really don't know because we, we it's like, I think clearly losing these guys is a big deal. The the magnitude of the deal will be based largely on, on who they hire. Um, again, 
it's not that it's not par for the course. I, I do think it's kind of scummy to wait. Oh, the 30 day the window. Trip. We got to hit that. Sorry. Yeah. Guys. I mean, come on, that's guys, really. Like, so it was reported, right? Like that's not even a rumor. Like it was reported that part of the timing, because it came from the Seattle times. And this is what stinks for Alabama is that, you know, Seattle Times, like now they've got their guys, they've got all the reporting. And, you know, Seattle Seahawks fans are like, well, why did it take so long? Seattle Times comes out and is like, well, yeah, yeah, it just took so long because they had to wait until the kids couldn't leave again. And I think that stinks, even though I would hope that if you decided to stay and you were on Alabama's roster, you had decided to stay because of Kalen DeBoer, not specifically because of um, Scott Huff or Ryan Grubb. This is a great example of why the transfer portal is awesome, right? Because previously, you wouldn't have been able to transfer out if, if, if they had pulled this stuff post-spring, right? Now, whoever they bring in, okay, like maybe you wanted to transfer out now. Now you can't because the window's closed. Now you can go to the spring window if you don't like who who Kalen DeBoer brings in to be your offensive coordinator or your offensive line coach. So but now, I, I'm. this is one of the reasons why I really love the transfer portal because teams try to pull scummy moves like this and and the actual impact on the player is not quite as negative as it could have been. Additionally, I mean if if you'd done this 2 days earlier before the window closed, it still really doesn't matter because not a lot of schools can get you into school right now anyway. I I, I mm-hmm. talked to some coaches about this over the weekend. And I guess if you're on quarters maybe, but there are not that many schools that are on quarters. So You'd Worst be a summer is, arrival, like wherever you're going to transfer, you're not going to be able to show up until summer workouts. Right. So, look, I mean, worst case, you don't like the guy he hires. You go through spring anyway. It's not like Bama strength conditioning sucks. You'll, you'll, you'll stay in good shape. <laughs> yeah, Maybe you'll get to play some, a little more practice <laughs> film, and then you bounce if you need to. Uh, so, yeah, I, but this used to matter more when when players had fewer options and, and, and fewer freedoms because teams would do stuff like this intentionally and you really had no recourse. Also, going back to the previous conversation, like Greg Byrne even said when they were interviewing Kalen DeBoer, they understood that there was a very high likelihood that Grubb would be leaving. So like when they were doing the interview for the process, DeBoer had other people in mind to be offensive coordinator in case Grubb did leave. Now, the, the dog and pony show of Grub being linked with the Seahawks job, coming back to Tuscaloosa and saying, "I'm I'm going to be I'm your, offensive yeah, I'm your offensive coordinator," and then leaving for Seattle when there's a decent chance and we don't know for sure, but there's a pretty decent chance he knew he was not going to be the offensive coordinator at Alabama by that point. That's it's it's scummy. I, I don't like it at all. So, but yeah, you're right. They they do have a chance to leave in the spring. But you mentioned like you know the offensive line coach leaves. Alabama brought in a couple transfers from Washington, the offensive line. They might have transferred to Alabama to A, because it's Alabama, but B, to work again with their offensive line coach. And now he's leaving. So it's just, yeah, I I don't like it. I get it. I understand why they're doing it. I don't like it. It makes me not be in favor of a single portal window. And I believe that is one of the many suggestions that is out there. And as long as the, as long as we live in the era of the never-ending carousel, <laughs> then I do believe there should be multiple opportunities throughout a calendar year when players would be able to uh, enter the transfer portal, and if they have that one-time transfer ab- ability to transfer without penalty, because guess what? Coaches transfer portal. Well, that's the coaches can transfer without penalty. But I'm saying they should have a window. Coaches are only allowed to leave for other jobs at certain times. Work that into their contracts. They have them. Yeah. You can do it. Mm. Oh, they can't. Why not? Why won't that happen? Mm. No, no. I'm I'm just thinking about this selfishly. You know, I mean, somebody the cover three tailgate mentioned before the show, like somebody was like, "Boo to Chip for the never-ending carousel." And then somebody followed up was like, "No, like yay to Chip." What would we be talking about? <laughs> no, my my point is just that um, we you talked about how they want there to be like a you know one-time window who's pushing for that the hardest oh, oh I mean, coaches yeah I'm, push, I'm saying we should push for coaches to only be yeah. able to move at a certain time and, and to be fair i've only heard that as one of many suggestions we are still nobody see, has presented a full proof plan to fix the calendar everyone only has individual things that they want and we haven't gotten anywhere close to an idea of what could make it uh better than what we have okay we gotta hit it coming up on the other side Late last week, Chip Kelly left his position as a head coach of a Big Ten football program to go be a coordinator for another Big Ten football program. 
That left UCLA open. And now, reportedly, it's been filled here on this Monday morning. We'll get into our reaction and more next. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Um, no sirens here in your feed, but certainly breaking news for those of you, uh, a lot of you here in the Cover 3 tailgate, you saw it just a few minutes ago. We saw it as well. Uh, according to ESPN's Pete Thamel, it looks, according to ESPN's Pete Thamel, Deshaun Foster, the former UCLA uh, player, assistant, um, you know, superstar when he was there as a running back, uh, he will be taking over as the next head coach, taking over for Chip Kelly. Uh, he was a student assistant. He was a graduate assistant. He was the running backs coach at UCLA from 2017 to 2023. And now uh, it looks like he will be the head coach of the Bruins. Um, but sort of first thoughts on, you know, I don't know if you have you any encounters with him. You know, yeah, I, I, okay, I, don't, awesome. I don't know. I don't know Deshaun well, but like I, I've met him a couple of times. Okay. Um, so he's actually been a coach of some capacity at UCLA for, I think, like seven years. No, saw, even back to his GA days. I was going to say, he was a director of player personnel before we started calling him general managers. So, I mean, he was UCLA student assistant in 13, grad assistant 14, 15, right? Then he went to Tech for, for one year's running backs. Then he was UCLA's running backs coach for seven seasons. And then this is the first year where he was with the Raiders. So, Again, I, I do think there's an element here to where should we give some deference to the to the decision makers because they have had a lot of time to evaluate Deshaun and how like he fits, operates, understands the program, you know, culturally. I I think I'm I'm willing to extend to to extend that. Now I'm not really sure if UCLA's administration is a mess right now. Um, isn't their chancellor leaving? I, I, I think I saw yes. so. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean for A.D. Martin Jarmond? Uh, how much of that played into Chip's decision to leave as well? Uh, now, this could also mean that they were just cheap, and they and they had to find a guy who was willing to accept it. I think they had to find a guy in a hurry. Finding a guy who was on staff in 23 um, you know, makes, makes some sense. Uh, but ultimately, man, I don't know. Like, I, I think this could work out, but – my guess here is that the success or failure of Deshaun Foster is going to largely be dictated by the administration at UCLA. Like how committed really are they to playing football at a championship level, not a national championship level, but like of at least contending for a big 10 championship. They're over under win total on our partner FanDuel right now is five and a half. And six looks tough when you look at the schedule. It does indeed. Uh, And they, there are, not a ton of talent on that roster. I think everybody wants to poach, but does this um, uh, does this move maybe suggest that they want to prevent transfer portal exodus by getting a guy that many of the players on the roster already know? Again, they should be in the best position to to evaluate and make the hire for a guy who's worked with you for ten of the last thirteen years. So I'm going to give them the deference that that suggests they should get because I was not in that building. But certainly, this is sort of the same thing as not the same thing. There are certain types of hires where, okay, that guy would only get hired for a job of this level at that school because of the connections to that school or because it's sort of an internal promotion because they've had a chance to evaluate him. You know, I, like I don't think Sharon Moore would get a job the quality of Michigan if he was on the open market. Mm-hmm. You know, he would get a good job, but not a Michigan level job. But it's because 
Michigan had the opportunity to evaluate him in-house for a long period of time that they got the job. So UCLA should know. If they screw this up, that's on them. Sean Foster is a great hire for UCLA. I have no idea if it will work out. I do think it makes a lot of sense in that it's an odd time when in early February, your head coach up and leaves to take an offensive coordinator job. Signing day has come through. You're not going to have the easiest time convincing a sitting head coach to leave their current job to come to you, which is why like when the, when the candidates list first came out over the weekend and like PJ Fleck and all these guys are on, I was like, why the hell is anyway, but just like, no, I know why it was mentioned, but there's no way in hell he was ever going to leave. Um, but so you look at the situation, you want to act quickly. You have a very limited pool of applicants available to you. So you settle, or I don't mean to not settle, but you choose the guy that you're very familiar with, the guy that, like Bud's saying, you have a good idea of who he is. And also you're getting a guy who clearly cares about your program. I mean, he played there. He's coached there for many years, and he wants to be your head coach. Good. All right, get him. But then even the stuff behind the scenes – Part of the reason Chip left is because there wasn't the kind of financial commitment to the program that he felt was needed to really compete at the level that they want to compete. Not so much for national titles, but just to be a competitive program. They didn't have the NIL. And you look at it, there is a new chancellor coming in. And if you talk to UCLA fans, and there are fans out there, even though they're in L.A., but they do exist. They're hoping that the new chancellor actually gives a damn about the football program because the feeling is the current chancellor did not give a damn about the football program. It was just something they had. So that's interesting to see, but that will bring in the the future, but also the money issues where UCLA, there's a reason it's going to the Big Ten, folks. (laughs) Yes, they're going to get money eventually, but they also need to get more money eventually because that school has had some financial limitations and problems. They're operating at at a, you know, at a loss right now from what I read. So they've got some issues to deal with, so they can't really make a huge splash hire. Not that there's a huge splash hire out there available to them. So I think that when you look at the situation and you kind of put all the pieces together, especially if you want to act quickly, Deshaun Foster makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. Will it work? I don't know. Tony White also was at UCLA. He was not a a second team All-American like Deshaun Foster was. He has not been a prominent member of the UCLA coaching staff over the last 13 years as Deshaun Foster has been, but with his sort of rise as the defensive recently and still as the defensive coordinator at Nebraska, you know, the buzz around him was such that at the end of this regular season, they restructure his deal. He goes from 1 mil a year to 1.6. Now what UCLA would be able to pay a head coach is more than 1.6. What they would be able to pay a head coach. Do do you think Tony White got a decent shot at this or some you you mentioned PJ Fleck, but White made sense as potentially, but White also might've been like, hey, I'm only leaving this for that right now for blank. And blank might've been 4X what he's making right now or something that, you know, you just had the leverage and UCLA said, no, we're going to stay with, like we mentioned, something that we know, somebody who's here, somebody who can hit the ground running. If you're Tony White, you also have to judge what jobs will come open next year if I put together mm-hmm. two good years of defense at Nebraska, right? Like that That's very possible you can get a better job than UCLA if Tony White's, if Tony White's research suggests, hey, UCLA is broke, they don't have NIL, their administration doesn't support me, I'm not going to get what I need in terms of you know, support staff salaries and all that kind of stuff, which does matter, by the way, when you live in L.A. Like it is hard to get good off-field people because you have to you have to really pay them a lot more in LA than you would have to pay them like Tuscaloosa. You know, it you can find a place in Tuscaloosa for like 700 a month. I don't think you yeah, can really find a place in LA for 700 a month. Maybe yeah, like Martin, um I'll tell you what. I'll uh I'll be there for and it's only going to cost you 9 mil a year with a salary pool of uh 6 mil a year. How's that sound? Like you just you run it up to something where it's stupid and then UCLA ends up saying no if you believe that there's that much ground to be made up in all those other different areas. That's mm-hmm. one way it could have gone, potentially. Yep. All right, UCLA's schedule. In 2024, first year of Big Ten play, Bud already mentioned that on FanDuel, make every moment more, we're dealing with a five-and-a-half win total. Time you going over or under UCLA led by Deshaun Foster, year one of him at the helm, over or under five and a half wins for the Bruins in 2024? 
I mean, I feel like I have to go under looking at this off the top of my head because it's <laughs> at Hawaii. Okay, we're going to win that game, I think. We should. We better. Indiana at home should win. Maybe win. Hope you win. That'd be a very bad start to the uh, to the tenure if you're losing at home to Indiana to begin. That'd be a very Chip Kelly's Chip Kelly's esque start to your coaching tenure. Your next three games at LSU, no. <laughs> Oregon, doubt it. At Penn State, nah. Uh, Minnesota, maybe, maybe give you a chance there. At Rutgers, maybe, but you're on the road. At Nebraska. Maybe because Nebraska is Nebraska, but I think Nebraska will actually, for the first time forever, actually be better next year. Iowa at home. <laughs> at Washington. I don't know. It's hard to know what Washington is going to look like next year. That game might be more winnable than you think, but you're still going to Seattle, so I'm going to still mark that down as probably not. I would favor UCLA over Washington. Really? Yeah. You, UCLA you love Ethan more- Garbers that much? I Yeah, well, I mean, Washington lost, what, 20 of 22 starters? Yeah, but UCLA kept how many starters? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought UCLA was a little bit better than the record last year. I I don't think it's yeah. guaranteed they miss a bowl, depending on what happens. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. If they had not just had a coaching change, and we will see what happens with the portal now that they have their their their, their 30-day window, although I, I don't think anybody of, of importance has jumped in quite yet, um, largely because there's nowhere to go right now. So why would you? But um, – yeah, well, I, I could see them making a bowl game because I, I don't think Washington's that great. Uh, I, I'm not convinced Iowa's offense is going to be any better. Um, you know, I, I, maybe, I mean, Iowa, it almost has to be. But. Iowa's offense doesn't have to be better. They still win 10 games. Like, Yeah, but they, I mean, but what their FanDuel total came out at what? Six and a half? Yeah, but that's, like, now I think their that's schedule's an gotten more difficult too. But. It got bet up to seven or seven and a half now, I saw, but yeah. like, um, I'm just saying, looking at the schedule, find me six wins. Like, tell me, you feel comfortable about winning at Hawaii. You feel comfortable about beating Indiana. There's two. You feel comfortable about beating Fresno. There's three. Yep. Your other home games are USC, Iowa, and Minnesota, and Oregon. How many of those do you really feel comfortable about UCLA winning? Well, you beat USC this year, right? Mm-hmm. So... Oh, mess of a U.S. I, at the end of the year when they were checked all oh, the way. It was still out. Caleb. Yeah, do not be confident about USC looking much different next year. I mean, I, I think they could look different, but it, it's not a guarantee. Uh, you know, at, at Rutgers, again, we've said on the show before all this stuff went down, like we didn't think a game was going to be easy, but you're still likely favorite at Rutgers, I, I think. You know, Nebraska, how does their offense look? I mean – they got a five-star QB now, but they they're do win we'll thirteen see, we'll games. We'll see how he plays as a freshman. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think UCLA can make a bowl game pending who else gets plucked off this roster. J. Michael Sturdivant still got eligibility. Yeah, and he's still there, right? He's there. Jay Toy is there. A couple other guys are there. Who I like? That, I, I, I scanned it earlier. It's like those are guys that I think you would look at. Yeah, that's the high end in terms of yeah. just like. Um, what, what kind of condition is this team going to be in in early October after they play LSU, Oregon, and Penn State three weeks in a row? Now, that's a really good point. During the middle of a six-game stretch, that'll be – because they start in Hawaii, so you get that week zero game or whatever, and then you've got the bye, but then you've got six straight, and that includes three in a row of at LSU, Oregon, at Penn State. This team could be beat to hell by October. We, we talk about highly touted Good. players Fantastic. in terms of like their boat, the way that they're boasted about. I think I'm a new in the transfer portal era. We need like who's who gets qualified as a coveted player. UCLA might have like three highly coveted players at the top of that roster, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that sound right? Okay. If you, sounds about right. Uh, Deshaun Foster again named the UCLA head coach. Uh, he now goes about the business of trying to put together the spring practice plan, trying to hire the staff, retain the roster, and figure out what he's going to need and if UCLA can be uh, players in the spring portal window when we get to that coming up a little bit later in May. Again, breaking news here on a Monday during the show. Uh, UCLA, we no longer need to talk about the latest on UCLA search because UCLA's search has concluded with Deshaun Foster. Oh, yes. Fire. I would like to. I, I, I want to do something. I, I think if you are an AD, um, don't you try to change the contract end date 
or at least change when the buyout drops because these NFL teams we know hate paying buyouts for coaches. So it's like February. Yeah. If I like, like, you know, look, I'm all, for smart, players, yeah. I'm, all, I'm all for players' rights, but if, if I'm an AD, I'm trying to write these contracts now to where, like, if you're leaving for the NFL, your buyout can't, like, won't drop until, you know, let's call it like February 1st. But you, because the number of, of places that players can, can actually transfer out to at that point is really low because everybody's academic calendar is already, like, pretty, you know, pretty far advanced. And it gives my new staff hire three months to work with the new guys. And it, if I'm if I'm confident in making a good hire, then maybe the guys will actually like who I hire and not coaches transfer leaving. Out. Coaches leaving to the NFL is not a problem. Why would we need to change the way we do things? Well, I think the calendar is the reason you do it. Like, like nobody would agree to do it in, in like for college to college jobs, right? But you would still. No, it's a, it's a good idea if you're an AD. That is definitely something worth considering. Like nobody would ever sign it for like, hey, this is a buyout if you leave for a college job. But we do see destination specific buyouts. Right? So like, buyouts drop buyouts drop annually. They drop once every year. And what Bud right. is talking about is that a lot of buyouts are like December fifteenth, you know, mm -hmm. like after the regular season or January first. And so if that buyout, you know, is eight million dollars a year over four years, talking about thirty-two million dollar buyout for head coach Joe Schmo. Now, if as Bud is suggesting, it's going to be all the way out until February. Does that help your coach from getting poached for the NFL? Yeah, like a peek behind the curtain here, Chip. Remember, when we first started working for CBS, our contracts expired in November. Yeah, it's problematic. So, what? So the bosses, yeah. So our bosses would have an option, like when our contracts were coming up, are we going to extend these guys or are we going to fire them in November with the bowl season and the playoff games and everything coming up? They 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 wised up to that after a few years and changed it. But Chip and I, we were able to. <laughs> Are you guys over the summer now? Hey, listen, 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 listen. You need yeah. I, I I need to be bribed by insiders. Okay, I don't I don't have a sports media reporter banging on my door, willing to uh, do some horse trading for contractual information. They they want to tell you all about all these other guys. Nobody's trying to get a front page headline about Chip Patterson's contract, but. Yeah, they have adjusted. We are no longer we're we're no longer dealing with November uh, re updates. It's, it's more employer friendly now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Coming up on the other side, the whole reason why the UCLA job was open was because Chip Kelly left to go to Ohio State. Bud and I got you with those sirens in your feed on Friday. Want to get Tom's thoughts on that? Plus, the Kentucky offensive coordinator search, more shifting on Sharon Moore's staff. Goodness gracious. Uh, talk about similar to Kalen DeBoer, someone who's got their hands full with trying to get everything together in time for spring, and much, much more. Next. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, as we have, yes, uh, Alabama, needs a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive line coach after the moves over the weekend. UCLA needed past tense to replace Chip Kelly. They have already, as of Monday morning, uh, tapped former uh, former assistant and former star Deshaun Foster to take over there. Uh, but Chip Kelly to Ohio State, Tom, I wanted to you know, pick your brain on this one because I know you wrote about it uh, for CBSSports.com on the site. Definitely go check that out as well. So as we get into some of these other assistant coaching carousel moves, how do you think uh, Kelly's addition, what stands out to you the most about his move to go join uh, the Buckeyes rock star, uh, rock star football program heading in 2024? Um, it's crazy. It is wild in that a Big Ten head coach is leaving a Big Ten job to go be a Big Ten offensive coordinator. So from that angle, it's nuts. Looking at everything else and understanding the situation, it starts to make more sense. And understanding Chip Kelly, I don't think it's crazy because Chip Kelly, like we talk about with the uh, with the panic about coaches leaving for the NFL and how it's just they can't take all these new rules and all this stuff. Chip Kelly never liked doing this to begin with. Like Chip Kelly has just been a dude who wants to coach football, even going back to the Oregon days, like they recruited well, they used Nike and their influences. And I remember like, you know, thinking of uh, the, the Michael James and the stuff in Texas, I cannot remember the bag man's name that they got in trouble with, but Elliot like, Miles. yeah, there we go. But 
Chip was always just a dude who wanted to draw up plays and like run plays. So like when it came to recruiting, Chip really wasn't the, you know, the recruiter. He wasn't on his guys to be like, we got to get out there getting all the talent. Then he goes to the NFL. It doesn't work. And then when he's back, you know, he spends a year in the studio at ESPN and like Tennessee was open. Florida was open. UCLA was open. I don't know how interested Tennessee ever was, but it came down to basically like Florida and UCLA. We knew were interested. And most people were like, well, he's going to take the Florida job. Why the hell would you take you know, UCLA over Florida? And I wrote at the time, he's going to take the UCLA job because he doesn't want to recruit. And going to Florida, you're going to have to do it. Like, why did Dan Mullen get right. fired again despite winning the division twice? So, and then he ends up taking the UCLA job. But when he took that UCLA job, there was no transfer portal. There was no NIL. It was a job in Los Angeles where, again, UCLA fans want a new chancellor who gives a damn about football. <laughs> Chip Kelly was at a job where he was kind of just able to do what he wanted to do, coach football. Couldn't do that anymore. So now he's leaving to be Ohio State's offensive coordinator where he's just going to be able to draw up plays and coach football. And depending on how things go, he might not be there very long, you know, if they lose to Michigan again. But it's just, it's one of those situations. But the, the larger part to me is, and this is what I wrote about, each of these coaches has their own reasoning for doing what they've done. Whether you're Jeff Halfley or Chip Kelly, resetting your clock, just wanting to go, not wanting to deal with all the BS that comes with the gig. Ryan Grubb leaving, these position coaches leaving, all of them. They all have specific reasons. But the current situation of coaching at the college level is part of the decision-making process for every single one of them. You can't deny it. They've brought it up. You talk to coaches, they bring it up constantly. So, yes, the ones who do get a chance to go to the NFL are going to take that chance or take that option more often than not because they want to get all this crap off their plate. They want to just go coach football. And my bigger concern isn't the overall quantity of coaches that are going to do it because, as Bud has mentioned, there's only so many jobs, and these teams are going to have to want you. But who do they want? They want the best. They want the brightest. If you look at the NFL, the average age of an NFL head coach is going way down. Sean McVay used to be the baby. Now he's like the older veteran, and he's like 39 or 40. I don't even know how old he is anymore at this point. But they keep hiring younger coaches, and these guys are poaching from the college level younger, innovative, smart coaches. There is a brain drain going on in the college football coaching community where a lot of the innovators, which is kind of what separated college from the NFL for so long, like you would see Chip Kelly was running that offense at college years before the NFL realized it existed. Mm -hmm. And then they hired him in the NFL. We've seen kind of implement styles, but now all those brains and all those plays are going to the NFL. And in college, it's not to say there aren't smart coaches left. There are, there's like a thousand jobs. There's always going to be really smart coaches at the college level. It's just you're seeing more that it's about the coaches that are sticking at college are typically going to be a great recruiters or B just very good coaches like position coaches, guys who are great at development and all that kind of stuff. And those are great to have. But the offensive and defensive innovators, the guys with new ideas, most of those guys are going to the NFL. And I feel like that is a problem for college in the long run. Makes sense. Um, I also think it's going to last very long. They need you know? to change things, yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's going to last very long. Just If you look at all the different court cases going on, I mean, I, most of these guys are going to bitch and complain about something every single offseason. Like, as long as I know coaches, it was something. It was, it was transfer portal, and then it was satellite camps, and then before that it was over-signing, and then it was uh, cost of attendance. Remember, cost of attendance was going to was gonna, you know, really, really ruin the sport. And I just the, These guys, I mean, look. I'm sure if people were calling us for our opinions on things, we would bitch about things at, at, at our jobs, right? I mean, we actually, I really like our jobs, but like, still, th there's things we all we all would complain about uh, because these guys get reported on by media. Their thoughts get parroted out there. I, I I hear the exact same complaints, but you know, most of them can't leave and won't leave, and uh, a lot of their skill sets are much closer to that of a high school coach than than of an NFL coach. So. It, you know, if you really want to make it make a choice that you can actually make, it's like you want to take a ninety percent pay cut and go 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 make forty eight thousand to go coach high school ball. You know, but, uh, but as we discussed, like if it does not change soon and this extends over long periods of time, then yeah, there's going to be 
Like, yeah, there's going to be noticeable impact. There's just mm-hmm. you know, if it's like 15 more years, then I think we could see an impact. If it's like three or four, I don't, I don't think it's really. If they get this, if they get this fixed by the time that the 2024 cycle are seniors, you know. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, Bud is limiting his outrage because he believes in you, college football. Yeah. He, he is harnessing it for other areas of his life, both professional and personal, because he believes that the future of college football will be different in the next three, four years in a way that does not have the current issues for coaches. Um, they do have issues right now. All right, you want to keep going with other assistant carousel stuff or do you have other breaking news? No, that that was the the other stuff. Um, so I don't have anything new on Kentucky offense coordinator. Do you guys? Was it, is it Butch, I guess? Yeah. Is, is that official? Camden. It's not official, but okay. it's sort of it's looking that way. Um I sure, right? I mean, they run the ball well at Boise, right? I just you, you're so getting in there. You're, you're you're getting somebody who's going to come in, and Mark Stoops is going to say, "Hey, look, here's what we do here. Um, we run the football. We have a physical offensive line." Hamden's like, "Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what to do with that." So stylistically, it it is not a hire, which is going to make me be like. Uh, Liam Cohen, at one point, we were like, Liam Cohen and Devin Leary, watch out. Kentucky football is going to be back. Now, if you're really smart, you might have heard the Cover 3 podcast and Bud Elliott be like, guys, I don't know if the wide receivers have changed. So, you know, we'll we'll see about that. And sure enough, what was the strength of Kentucky's offense? Running the daggum football with a physicality and a violence that allows them to be able to be effective opposite a somewhat strong defense. Hamden uh, keeps that in line. What about... Michigan. The latest uh, pieces, we get Steve Klinkscales being the latest to go. We already lost Minter. We already lost Elston. We're just continuing to see the pieces shuffle around there. Um, As you're looking at Sharon Moore and his staff for 2024, Tom, uh, where do you think the needs, the the latest updates, developments, where is your concern or interest at for that group? It's similar to what we talked about earlier in the show with Alabama, although I think Kalen DeBoer, you can say, has a deeper tree of people to hire from because of his experience at multiple head coach jobs at different stops. And Sharon Moore does not really have that yet, but Michigan does have plenty of connections. And as we've seen, like Wink Martindale is expected to come in to be the defensive coordinator. I don't know if they've made that official or not. So the the Ravens Michigan coaching tree is still very much alive and well. Although I will say Baltimore before New York. Yeah, he was with the Giants last year, but he he was originally in Baltimore for years as their defensive coordinator. And he was one of the mentors for both Mike McDonald and Jesse Minter and helped him. But I will say, like, it will get talked about as just getting from the Ravens tree, everything's going to change. Minter and McDonald learned under Martindale, but they do not have very similar approaches in that Michigan didn't Michigan blitzed more than average, but they weren't blitz heavy with McDonald and Minter. Wink Martindale and the Giants blitzed 60% of the time last year. When he was at Baltimore, he was very blitz heavy. So that could be a kind of significant change that you see with Martindale and Michigan. And I don't know if I'm optimistic about how that'll work out because it's one thing to blitz a lot and leave your corners in man all the time when you have NFL corners. When you're a college team, yeah, you have Will Johnson and you're going to have good corners because you're Michigan, but you don't really have a team full of NFL players at every single spot. So it could be problematic, and it kind of reminds me, kind of could be Todd Grantham-ish. Just leave it at that. I don't think Martindale is very as predictable as Todd Grantham was, particularly on third downs, but it could be very high variance on defense next year for Michigan if, if Martindale brings the same approach. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious to see how, how this works out. So uh, Steve Klingscale uh, left after initially he had decided to stay, and right. then he, he decided to leave. I don't know if the deciding to stay was you know was genuine as far as wanting to really stay in college or uh, if it was a leverage play, right, uh, to get more money out of the NFL job, which I think he ultimately probably got uh, because NFL jobs don't pay as well in many cases, not all, uh, as college jobs. But I believe his son is a freshman DB at Michigan. So uh, my guess here is that there was some want to stay, but also uh, I mean, if you're reading the tea leaves, like basically that entire Michigan staff is gone. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. a bit of a of an issue. I don't really know. Now they did hire, I believe, uh, Greg Scruggs, the D-line coach 
from Wisconsin. So uh, I assume that's somebody Sharon knows. I haven't really, I was doing my research for it this morning, but I didn't really dig into that one uh, too much. But I will note that is uh, two defensive coaches gone from Wisconsin uh, who are going to schools now that played in the college ball playoff. So Alabama uh, took the Wisconsin um, uh, DB coach mm-hmm. as well. So uh, Luke Fickle certainly probably uh, put together a better staff than some realized if Michigan and Alabama are plucking away your coaches. So if you're a Wisconsin fan, that's kind of a bummer, but also maybe a sign that Fickle really knows how to hire guys. Yeah, but you just got Alex Grinch. Don't worry. Yeah. He knows how to hire guys. That's how you talk yourself into that one. If you're feeling bad about Alex Grinch, Maybe even getting a promotion out of this. Who knows? Maybe he should be your new co-defensive coordinator. He knows how to hire guys. So there you go. Um, we got uh, Boston College, Bill O'Brien, starting to put together his staff. Don't always see this often, bud. Uh, strength and conditioning coach Craig Fitzgerald leaving the University of Florida Gators to go join Bill O'Brien's staff at Boston College. Where he was I- just hired. At, I mean, they, they made this guy the, the head of strength conditioning like a month ago. And he's gone. Mm-hmm. Why? why? What the, what uh, that Napier cited a, a longstanding relationship with Bill O'Brien. Like, I guess they've worked together before. This guy came from the New York Giants. So all these coaches fleeing the NFL, like Deshaun Foster to UCLA, and, and this guy going back to be a strength conditioning coach in college. No, I, um, I'll buy that, the, the longstanding relationship. I'll also buy that. I mean, I think there's a high likelihood that Billy Napier is not the coach at Florida in 2025. It, it, all of the hot seat lists are going to have him fairly high up, I would think. FanDuel has their win total at five and a half. If they miss a bowl again, I, I think it's it's pretty much all she wrote. So, from a resetting your clock, restart your clock type thing, it's very likely that you get to live in Boston for the next four years unless Bill O'Brien were to leave of his own volition because I don't think that BC is going to up and fire Bill O'Brien anytime soon. Coaches never keep, almost never, unless it's an internal promotion, they almost never keep the strength coach. So if Napier gets fired, Fitzgerald's also gone, and it sucks to have to go live in a place for only one year and uproot your family. So if the money's at all similar, I think you'd rather go live in a place for four years as opposed to one. And we didn't have any of this planned because I, I didn't get the I didn't get the news part of it yet. But why is there a lot of hand wringing over who's calling plays at Florida? Are you that in on that? Yeah, I've seen this. Like a, a lot of Florida fans wanted to get a different offensive coordinator. I I, I saw Billy over the weekend at, at at the Nike Coaching Clinic down here in Orlando, which I, I like going to. It's a good. Did time. you boo? And so what <laughs> did you boo him? Did you boo him? <laughs> No, I, I mean, look, he's extremely <laughs> detail oriented. Bud shows up to a coach's <laughs> clinic. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure what he was going to talk about because a lot oh, of these yeah. guys, a, a lot of these guys, like, like the title on, on the coaching clinic when you go is just Gators football or Seminole football or, or championship football. culture, and he yeah. sh- and you, they show you the same slideshow that they show their team on the first day of fall camp. Right. And it's like, this yes. is how we practice. This is what we do. Yes, I've, I've been Hard. to a lot of those. So, and, and sometimes they give you good stuff. Sure. Right? I, I actually, I enjoyed Napier. So, like extremely detail-oriented with, with the quarterback work. He, he went over like their evaluation process of Graham Mertz in the portal. Uh, and then, okay, are, are these flaws something we can live with? If not, are these flaws something that we can fix? Do we still see some of the original physical ability that we saw with the guy that made him you know, a, a five-star or high four-star, depending on the service, coming out. And they they thought they did. I, I thought they did a nice job with him. Um, you know, he noted that uh, they were basically playing like guards at offensive tackle this year, so that was a problem. He said that a couple times as far as their pass protection. So we'll see how, how that gets better. But, I, um, yeah, I, I kind of forgot what the original question was. And I'm just oh, like, what, like what, what is the hand-wringing? I sense Florida <laughs> – like there is some real Florida fan consternation over who's calling plays and who's running the offense in 2024, and I I oh. did not get it. Well, they have two offensive line coaches, and they had a boatload of offensive line penalties. At one point, they were leading the nation in short yardage or in EPA lost to short yardage penalties, which is that's a horrible stat. Horrendous. Yeah. Also, they were leading the nation in uh, 
EPA lost due to special teams penalties, which if you have a game changer coordinator as your special teams coach title, well, the game definitely changed, just not in the direction that you wanted it to. I, I don't know. I don't think Billy Napier is a uh, – first of all, I think he's probably a very good quarterback coach. I don't know if he's a good offensive coordinator or not. My real question with him is, does he know how to manage the like, – everybody who works for Saban knows what the plan is as far as hire this many guys, this many titles, this many polos. But knowing you got to hire them and knowing how to manage them is a huge difference. And that's where you see a lot of these Saban guys fail. Mm. It's, we'll it's say, like, yeah. As far as the play calling thing, whether warranted or not, it might be, it might not be. I, I, fans know very little about play calling, or at least nowhere near as much as they think they do. When you're, everything's going wrong the way it's going wrong at Florida, they're just going to be concerned about every single yeah. damn thing you're doing. Like, if you were calling plays last year and it sucked, why is he still calling plays? If you weren't calling plays last year and it sucked, why isn't he calling plays? That's really going to be the root of what's going on in the hand-wringing. Also, the defense was far worse than the offense last year. However, yes. you just you just got a new D.C. before the last season. So if you're a UF fan, you really can't be like, let's get a new D.C. again. You have to hang your hat on the defense was young, uh, the defense was banged up, and it's the second year in Austin Armstrong's system, so it's going to get better. So the only yeah. thing really left to complain about without sounding completely unreasonable is the offense coordinator and the play calling. Yeah, How many games did Florida lose last year where they scored 30 points or more? Like four? Pro- yeah, probably quite a few. <laughs> Yeah, it's not the offense that's the problem. Um, One last thing before we get out of here. Again, the breaking news this morning, Deshaun Foster named the new head coach at UCLA. We addressed that a little bit earlier on in the show. Um, But just, you know, in the wake of the the Super Bowl with a couple minutes we have left, San Francisco 49ers reportedly did not know the overtime rules were going to be different in the playoffs. What? Like the players? They knew. The players weren't really all that familiar. They they thought the mentality was if they go down and score a touchdown, the game would be over. Because in the regular season, remember, field goal extends it, touchdown can end it, but in the playoffs, both teams are guaranteed to possess it regardless of the outcome. Now, they ended up kicking a field goal, so it's not like that would have been a big difference, but the decision to take the ball, uh, I think, was is reportedly being influenced by 49ers' comments after the game uh, in terms of... Um, not knowing the adjustment that had been made to the rule for the postseason. I had made a joke. Go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, Kyle Kyle Shanahan said after the game he chose to take the ball because he wanted it third. So the 49ers coaching staff knew. Maybe the players, some didn't know about it, but the the coaching staff knew the rule. So he expected that he would get two shots at it, that he was going to score, Kansas City was going to score, and then they would get it third? Is that kind of No, his thought process was if it's tied, because both teams get the ball no matter what, Correct. After that, it's sudden death. Right. So he wanted the ball third just in case they had to go to it. He wanted, he didn't want to have be on defense when it went to sudden death against Patrick Mahomes. It, yeah. I, I, I tweeted out like, well, looks like Dion won't be, won't be making the worst overtime decision <laughs> in, in, in 2024. But I, I think this is actually somewhat defensible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I initially was ripping it. I understand the logic of it. The problem is the assumptions that you have to make here are, are interesting. One, does the team going second, like if you score a touchdown and the team going second, are they more likely to go for two to end the game right there, knowing that a field goal from, from the ensuing possession ends the ball game? The right. Chiefs said that. The Chiefs players okay. said, we've been talking about playoff overtime since training camp, and we always knew we wanted it second. And if it was touchdown, touchdown, we were going for two, and the game was going to end on that possession. I also think that it is defensible from the standpoint that if it's a really high-scoring game, then you know I I, I kind of think going second is smarter because if you get a stop, then you have the information you need. If it's a lower-scoring game, then I think going first is probably more defensible and/or potentially correct, or at least just coin flippy because the likelihood that you get the stop and don't allow a touchdown, like if you go field goal. The likelihood you get a stop and don't allow the touchdown, which ultimately they did allow the touchdown, uh, is higher. So San Fran's decision is somewhat predicated on how they had played defense to that point and also what the expectation was going into the game. I don't think anybody really thought that KC was going to score mid-30s on San Fran's defense, although it's certainly possible. Mahomes just ended up playing like Mahomes, mm-hmm. right, which is tough to tough to beat. <laughs> I, I- analytically there's no answer because we have no analytics this is the first time we've done these rules we have no idea how it's going to play out in the long run yet but i will say what's interesting is what i like about the rules is that 
there are arguments to be made for doing both options. But yeah, I would I would kick if if I won the coin toss simply because I prefer knowing what I have to do when I do get the ball. And if we get to the third possession and it's sudden death, well, that's on me for failing anyway. Because like you you look at the situation, San Francisco goes down, they get the field goal, but then Kansas City gets the ball and they had a fourth and one at the 23. Yep. And they went for it because they had to. But if you kick in that situation and Kansas City is facing a fourth and one at its own 23, are they going for it? You're putting a whole hell of a lot of pressure on them, whereas Kansas City was then able to call plays knowing, well, we're going for it on four downs no matter what. So on third and six, we can run the ball, set up a fourth and one if we have to. We can do anything. It's so it's much more difficult, I think, to defend in that situation, and you have the advantage of knowing what you need offensively. But then also you have Patrick Mahomes, which might negate everything. And on the other side of this 49ers, decision you could argue if you're Shanahan my defense had just been on the field for like eight minutes and was absolutely gassed and I didn't really feel like sending them right back out there in that situation so I don't know if there's a wrong answer but I do think that if I'm in that choice I'm kicking every time until proven mathematically that it's stupid to do so the other issue you have when trying to model this is is sort of your behavioral assumptions that if the team if you go down and score a field goal you are sort of assuming that the team going second, if pressed, will kick the field goal to tie the ball game, right? But and with the Chiefs, that's probably a somewhat safe assumption for the most part because they are kickers so good. Well, I mean, they're very conservative overall. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Like it, it sometimes they try to bunker out there a lot happily. Like why? Right. Come on, this is gonna be automatic. But do those behavioral assumptions do they hold if the team that is going second knows? that the next possession is sudden death. Like you're modeling this based on, on sort of normal behavior that the mm-hmm. team will probably kick the field goal and to extend the game. But if you know that like the, if the opponent team comes down and gets a field goal after you kick it to tie, uh, you may go for fourth down and say, Hey, we're, we're going to try to end this game on this possession right here. So it, it's a tough question. I, I actually think that what Shanahan did is much more defensible than taking the ball first in college overtime. Yes. Okay, so are, that that robs you of, of an information advantage w- without the reciprocal value. How would you how would you use what we have learned from overtime in the Super Bowl and apply it to college? How could we fix college can. overtime? You can't. You oh. can't cuz the NFL can't do this in the regular season. I would get rid of this two-point conversion nonsense and I would start college possessions at like the 45. To yeah. have to get a, you have to get a first down to reasonably kick a field goal. And I, I think we would have most overtimes done within one to two overtimes. Not uh, like I don't want to go to this two point shootout stuff. Yeah, but the like, two point conversion off is not my favorite. But the, yeah. the, the format for playoff overtime in the NFL is not feasible in the regular season for sure. Right. Sure. But, uh, but you mentioned the, windows. Well, the, the thing that was um, you know interesting to me that you just said, Tom, is the fact that there is a debate. And this is why it's college, a good, yeah. Yeah, in college, there's not even a debate. No. It is the results of the coin toss that then unless you unless you take the ball and then you defend it and then you pretend there's a debate. <laughs> but you know, there there is none. Like they do the coin toss in overtime. If you win the toss, then you choose to go on defense first, and it sets in motion the entire overtime. There is no at least in our collective opinion here on the cover three podcast. Hire us for all your college football consulting on and off the field. There is no sensible other option if you win the toss than to go on defense first. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. TV windows. Um, TV windows be damned. I saw. I, I saw. What, TV. I saw what Penn State and Illinois did. It's awesome. I, the TV windows definitely play a role in that, but I think even just more from the you can't have these guys playing that much football. Yeah. Because you're just going to get a bunch of injuries and you're already suffering a ton of injuries and you're already probably asking everybody to play too many games to begin with. So adding like extra quarters on games is just, yeah. Push it, hey, pushing it back to the 40, that's a good one. Yes, that's what they should have done from the start. Throw that on the list. Official suggestions from the Cover 3 podcast. 
All right, so we've still got um, a few. We've we've still got a few more different pieces before we can come anywhere close to grading uh, the assistant coaching carousel. But we are going to have more pieces that come along the way, and we'll be sure to break all those down coming up on Wednesday, eleven a.m. Reminder: every single Thursday. We get interactive by get jumping into the big old bag of mail. So if you go and leave us a five-star review and in that review, put your question, we'll tackle it in a future mailbag episode. As always, they are also interactive with the Cover 3 tailgate. Come and show up. Drop us a question in the tailgate in the chat. Uh, we will go ahead and tackle that as well. And you can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah.